you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? Matthew 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, would you come today? We are, we are seeking, Jesus, certainly an experience of your rest here, that if there's, as even as Greg prayed, for all those in need, Lord, that you have a rest for us, that we can lay down what is burdening us. But God, today we're praying for something much more than that. That, you, that we would take your yoke upon us and that you would teach us your meekness. Please, God, have your way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of today's message is Life in the Kingdom, Meekness. Point one is defining meekness. First, the meek are those who have come under God's control. The Greek word is uh, P-R-A-U-S, praus. And to, to grab a hold of what it means to be meek, you kind of have to look at how it was used by the ancient Greeks at that time. This was the word used to describe stallions that were broken and trained. Stallions that were beautiful and amazing and invigorated, but absolutely useless until they, were, they became meek. And so it, it was, it, it described the result of this breaking training process. And once a stallion was broken, it could be ridden. And when we think about stallions today, we usually think of the Kentucky Derby. Uh, we, we think of, of racing. In, in that day, stallions were used for war. They were, they were used to go into battle and they were broken because there were enemies and there was a battle. And um, the reason why meekness and this, this understanding of meekness is so important is this is Jesus' only self-description. It is the key that unlocks Everything in his ministry. He said, this is, this is my ministry. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I, have, I am under him. I am his to command. And Jesus was like that war horse. He went wherever the Father said to go. He went into battle. He fought Pharisees. He, he fought demons. He, there was no way. He, he conquered death because he was meek. One of, the, one of the guys defining it, I did some research on it this week, and he was trying to give an everyday today, 21st century definition and how we could understand it. It would be like the defensive lineman in the NFL. You know, he's 260 pounds. He can run a 4.540. He is a machine, muscular and but the way he becomes an all-pro is when he learns to not go off sides, when he learns to not make the late hit, to not uh, hit with his head and cause the team a penalty, that he needs to become, even though he's powerful, he needs to become meek. Meek is power under control. The second thing about meek is that the meek 
inherit. When Jesus says the meek inherit the earth, he is quoting Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The meek inherit. The, The proud take. The proud are always trying to take, trying to get what they want if, if they don't, and oftentimes they get it. Oftentimes they're manipulate. We're a dog-eat-dog world, and in this world we're taught to take what you want, break the rules, go after it, grab a hold of what you want, get your share. But the fruit that the proud get for taking is anxiety. Because that which they have taken, they now need to protect because they don't want to lose it. And they want to... The meek, the meek have none of that. The meek don't take. The meek allow God to give to them. And because God has given to them, they enjoy the abundance of peace. They overflow with peace. Why? Because they didn't get it. God gave it to them. They didn't need it to start with. God, God gave it to them. And so they enjoy Great peace. The religiously proud say this. God has to give to me because I've earned it. God owes me because I have kept his commandments, because I have believed his promises, because I have prayed, because I go to church, because I tithe. I have put God in my debt. The religiously proud are entitled. They feel entitled to something from God. And it leads, it leads to two bad fruits. One of them is that which they do have, they're very proud about. Because they earned it. Because they're a good Christian. And oftentimes, what it leads to, it's really just a matter of time, it leads to offense. Because... I have been good, I have done what's right, and God, you have allowed this to happen. I don't think you could see it any clearer than in Luke chapter 15 in the Pharisees. Jesus is using a story to speak to those who are ranked sinners, and he tells the prodigal son about God welcoming them home, and we'll talk about that later. But what he really wants to get at is the Pharisees. And he has this second brother called the older brother. And the father has welcomed the prodigal back. And and, uh, then he goes out to the older brother, whom he loves just as much as he loves the prodigal. and, and 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 he wants him to come into the party. And the older brother won't even say his name. He just says, look, look, I've kept all of your commands and I've served you day and night, and you haven't done anything for me and my friends. This is called entitlement. God owes me. The religiously proud say, God owes me. God has to give to me because I deserve it. The spiritually meek say something very different. The spiritually meek say this. God wants to give to me because he is so good. And I trust him for the way and for the timing that he will do that. Psalm 84, 11 says this. He withholds no good thing from those that walk uprightly. The spiritually meek walk with God and live right, not to earn something from God, but because they love God. And they trust God. God will give them, there's no good thing that God will withhold in his timing and in his way. They are free from from stuff. They are free and they live grateful lives. They enjoy the abundance of peace. Augustine said this, you have formed us 
for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The meek have found their rest in God. And God, when God gives them stuff, and they, they expect God to give stuff because God's, that's who God is. God's a generous father. He's a loving father. He withholds no good thing. But when they receive things, they enjoy great peace because if that thing doesn't come at the right time, it doesn't matter. My peace is in God himself. And my hands are open. And they allow God to give to them instead of trying to take. Defining meekness, that was point one. Here's point two. Actually, this is my last point. Learning meekness. Jesus says, learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. Now, here's the good news. If you, are, if you are a Christian right now, you, are, you already have meek, meekness and lowliness in you. Jesus is in you. Jesus is meek and lowly. Jesus is, Jesus is who he is in you. So Jesus is in you, and you are in him. This is part of the new man. This is the real you. A few weeks ago, I talked about um, when Christians are not embracing um, Christ and Christ's ways, we are like fish out of water. Can still, we can still survive, but it's not fun. It's not fun for a fish to be out of water. To be in his right environment, he needs to be in that water. And when, when Christians are proud, and it's so easy for Christians to be proud. Why? Because we lived proud. We lived in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and we learned, and our defenses are pride, and our go-to is pride, and, and so it's easy to go back to pride. And so you end up out of the water, flopping around, and, and trying to, and then, but because you love Jesus, you bring your, your, your burdens, and you come back to church, and he throws you back in the water. And it feels good. And it breathes, but then life happens, and pride takes over, and, uh, you know, because Jesus is in church, but, but I live, you know, it's a hard world out there, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take care of myself out there. And that, that it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So Jesus says this. I have something more than an experience for you. Today, if you're heavy and you're burdened down and you're, you're anxious, Jesus does have an experience. Just come to him. Come to him today. And he will, today, he will remove that and you will have an experience of his peace. But Jesus has something more for us, guys, than an experience. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Start agreeing with who I am in you and who you are in me. Start learning this and agreeing with this and you will have rest in your souls for your life. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christianity is not the difficult road. It's the narrow road. It, it, it is a light, easy burden to walk with Jesus. It's just easy to get off of it. It's easy to fall back. It's easy to get out of the water. It's easy to take the bait. The, the enemy uses so many things to bait us, to get us back into pride, back into fear, back into insecurity, back into our own control. And Jesus wants to teach us First, meekness begins when we realize our own control isn't working. I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 30, 15 through 18. In repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you are not willing. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore, you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand will flee at the threat of one man. You will all flee at the threat of five. Until you are left as a flag on a mountaintop and as a signal on a hill. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. 
God says to Israel, I, I have created you to find your rest in me. I, I have created you to be settled in me so that you can walk with me. But you weren't willing. Sometimes it's because of reckless pride. No, I'm going I'm to be my own man. I'm going to be my own woman. I'm going to do it on my own. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I, I'm going to do it my way. And sometimes it's because of fear. That I, I'm afraid I, to trust, and so I've got to do it myself. And I'm gonna, fear is going to run me, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take control myself. And here's what God says. Go for it. Go for it. Their plan is we're going to get horses. This is how we're going to get, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to get away. We're going to conquer. We're going to get, we're going to get horses. We're going to get swift horses. God says, go ahead. I'll get swifter horses. And those swifter horses are going to chase you down. And the end of your own control and your own plan is going to leave you like a sign, like a flag on a hill. This is what happens to those who take their own control. This is the mess that is made when you take your own control. Do you see that you're going to glorify God however you decide to do this? Whatever sign you want to be, you can be that sign. But after you're done with your own control and your own plan and you're worn out and you, you got that, you're the flag up on the hill. Notice what God says. Let's go back to this. Look at the Lord longs. Do you know that God is gracious? It means to be gracious is a tendency towards generosity. This is who he is. There is a longing in his heart to be generous to you and me. There is a longing in his heart to bless you and me. He longs to be gracious. And then look at this. Therefore, he waits. He's just trying to wait you out. <laughs> He's waiting us out. Are you done yet? Are you done yet? No, you want to try something else? Okay. Right. This, this is the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son is, he, he's not content at being home with his father. And he says to his father, I'm, gonna, I'm doing my own thing. I'm going my own way. I, I want my inheritance now. And the father is crazy. But the father says, okay. He sells half of his stuff and gives it to this son. The father says to you, and I, I want to do my own thing. I want to go my own way. So the father says this to you. Okay, take the breath I'm giving you. Take the body that I've given you. Even take all of the gifts I've given you. And go ahead and use them for yourself. Use them for your own comfort, your own enjoyment, your own whatever. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. And the prodigal goes out and, and he spends all of the, his, his money, all of his wealth. And, and, and he has all these friends, and, but it turns out they're not friends. When he runs out of money, he doesn't have any friends left. And he is all alone. And then he, he attaches himself to a pig farmer and, and he, it actually comes to the place where he is longing for the pig's food. And then he comes to his senses. And he says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home. This is called the discipline of the Lord. Meekness starts with the discipline of the Lord. God, when God allows hardship and allows you to get the fruit of your own choices and, and even the fruit of other people's choices around you and you experience life's difficulty and life's hardness, it is not a sign of God's rejection of you. It's actually, Hebrews 12 says, it's a sign of his acceptance. He is disciplining you. He is allowing life to bring you to the end of your Self and your own doing and your own efforts. In quietness and in confidence will be your strength. Isn't that exactly opposite of America? 
in America in inactivity and your own hard work is your strength. You can do anything if you just set your mind to it and you just, you just get active. And the Lord says, no, it's just opposite. Be still. Cease your striving. Cease your own agenda, your own control, your own figuring it out. And be still and know me. Meekness is actually realized in our lives and grown every time we encounter God's gentleness in our pain. Hosea 2.14. Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. I will take... All of the difficulties of her life, everything that has brought her to a wilderness, brought her to a place where she is alone, where the the friends have left, the fun has left, the comfort has left, all the things that kept her going that she had chosen herself. uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring her to that place where she's open to me, and I'm gonna speak tenderly to her there. And this is the place where we are changed. David was the the great king, the anointed one that killed Goliath and the general in the army. And David says this, it is your gentleness that's made me great. It's It's not your power. It's not your anointing. It is the tenderness that has won my heart, that has made me this wholehearted lover of God. 1998, a movie came out called The Horse Whisperer. And it was directed by Robert Redford, and he starred in it. It, 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 was, it was the first movie that he both directed and starred in. He was the main character in it. And it told the story of a horse. A horse who was greatly loved by this little girl, and, and they, she, the horse experienced this horrible, horrible accident that traumatized it, and it was so wounded inside and out that all of the experts say, you need to put this horse down. This horse will damage other people, and its own existence is a terror to itself. Take this horse out of its misery. But the mom, mom is type A, and this is a beloved horse, and she is searching for solutions. And so she searches the country over, and she finds this guy, Robert Redford, who is the ultimate horse whisperer. And so, long story short, I hate to ruin it for you, but she... She, 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 Robert Redford tells her, this is, this is what you're going to have to do. And so they move out there and he gets to work with a horse and, and you see, you see the master at work. And the unbelievable tenderness that he exercises towards this horse and trauma It starts out just looking at each other in a field and then putting food out and and going away from it. And then eventually the the horse will eat right out of his hand and, and then the horse opens to his touch and he starts whispering in its ear. And this horse is healed over time. And finally, and finally at the end, the horse is ready to be ridden again. And he eventually gets on this horse and and the horse is now healed and able to be a blessing again, be of use again. Great movie, horrible book. Do not read the book, The Horse Whisperer. The book, the book, the book goes a different direction and it's got all the wrong themes. Movie goes a different way. Horse Whisperer. Pastor Tom, why are you telling us about that? Let me, let, let me, let me help, help you today. <laughs> Jesus, to understand what's going on on planet Earth, to understand your own life, you need to understand this. Jesus is both 
the director and the main character. Jesus, Jesus is sovereign over everything. The, the government is on his shoulders. He is overseeing everything. But he is much more than that. He has come down into the plot. Today, by his Holy Spirit, he, he whispers to those who have gone through trauma. Those who have gone their own way, done their own thing, and life has beat them up, and people have beat them up, and there's been abuse, and there's been, there has been trauma, and people get down, and they get out, and the enemy comes to them and says, take your life, it's over. You're of no use to anyone else, and your own life is a terror. It's over. And this whisper comes from our Savior. I can bind up the brokenhearted. I can bind up what's broken inside of you. What no other man, what no other religion can touch, I can, I can heal you. And Jesus, in unbelievable tenderness, invites us to himself. And, and he, he, says, he, says, he says, come on in. Come on into my presence. Sit, sit wherever you want to. Bring a cup of coffee in. Come in late. You don't have to do anything. Just, just let me speak to you. Let me speak tenderly to you. Let my, let my words wash over you. And, and so we, we come, we come as we are, just, just like it says in the sign, come as you are. And, and, but there's something about that healing that over time we get, we get healed and, and, and pretty soon we're, we're, we're wanting to give something back. And all of a sudden we, whoa, my hand just went up in worship. Whoa, that's not me. I'm not a Jesus freak, am I? Have I become that? <laughs> this, is, this is all of a sudden not hard for me. And, and we get healed. And eventually, we don't know how it happens, but Jesus says, now it's time for us to ride. And, and he, he, in intimacy, can actually use us. He can ride us. And he can take us back out into this hurting world that is so broken and so traumatized. And somebody has to go out there. And this is how Jesus heals other people. He takes us. He takes us, that God healed ourselves, that, that we experienced his tenderness and experienced this wholeness, and now he can ride us and take us out into, does anybody know that there's a war going on out there? A spiritual war for men's and women's souls? Well, I actually got to experience a real live horse whisperer. We were, uh, this is a few years ago, our missionaries were here, and uh, we took them out to a, a horse farm, but not like a usual horse farm. The whole idea of this farm was to teach spiritual truth through horses. And the lady who led us, her name was Elaine, and um, we came into this, she had this massive arena out there, and within the arena, there was a, a small pen, and she, we came into the barn, and she's standing right in the middle of this pen, and she says to, it's, it's me and Alice and all the missionaries, and she says, uh, she says, what I want you to do, I want you to be absolutely quiet, and I just want you to observe. She said, I'm going to bring a horse into this pen that is unfamiliar to me. And you're going to see how I deal with this. And after we're, we're done, I'm just going to ask you what God has taught you through this experience. So I want you to be quiet and just listen for what God might speak to you as this happens. And so she's got a headset on just like this. And they open the gate and the horse comes in. And she starts talking to it, and she never, she never raises her voice. She's just, she's just got this just casual, and she's looking right at the horse, 
And the horse comes in, and the horse does not want to be in this pen and does not want to be with her. So the horse comes in, and the horse refuses to look at her. And the horse is running around the pen with its head out. And, And Elaine is right in the middle, and she just keeps her eye on that horse, just follows it all the way around. Just all the way around. And then the horse stops, and it takes the other direction. It starts going around. And once in a while, this is very scary. The horse would charge right through the middle and go right by Elaine and snort at her and go to the other side. And, and, uh, and she, ne- she was never disturbed. She just kept her eye and kept speaking to that horse. And then all of a sudden, guys, the most amazing thing happened. Horses running around, running around, running around. All of a sudden, it stops right where it is. It goes to the middle and puts its head down. And she starts rubbing the head. And here's what she says to us. She says, this is an act of surrender. She said, now watch what happens when I walk around. This horse will follow me anywhere. And sure enough, she starts walking around, and this horse follows her everywhere. And our little event is over with the horse. And she says, what has God spoken to you? And different people had different things. And, and here's what I, here's what I, I said. I don't, I don't even remember if I said it there, but this is, this is what I was overwhelmed with. The pen and the arena were both artificial. It wasn't about the pen or the arena. It was only about that relationship of surrender. Once there's surrender, the place that horse belongs is out running around in the wild ridden. That horse should be free. And so the the pen, the arena, and the pen are artificial. And I got to thinking about our own circumstances. (laughs) The trap us. And that God has allowed these circumstances and, and we've got this problem and that problem and financial problem and a physical problem and a relational problem and here we are and God has allowed it. And, and so we're in, we're trapped in these circumstances and we're, we're, we're kind of mad at God and we're running around trying to get out of it and we're, we're not going to look at God, not going to look at you, God, not going to acknowledge you, God, maybe a little religion, but not God. And once in a while, once in a while, we break for the middle in daring boldness and snort at him. <laughs> no! Get me out of this. Get me out of this. I'm not going to worship you until I get out of this. God's just like, keep running. You want to keep running around in that little pen? Go ahead. And he just keeps his eye on us. And he keeps speaking to us. And he's, he's waiting. He's waiting from on high. He's waiting. What's he waiting for? Guys, it was so amazing that a horse could go from rebellion to surrender so quickly. It just, it's like it got tired. It's like it, 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 it came to its senses. It says, what am I doing? And it just stopped and went to the middle and put its head down. It's called repentance. Repentance is an amazing gift where you just get to stop You're snorting and stop your running and stop all of your avoidance of God. Stop resenting your circumstances and you just come to the middle and surrender. And something amazing happens in that place. It no longer matters what circumstances you're in as long as you're with the master. And now the master's free to go anywhere with you. The master can ride now. The master can ride. So here's what happened to me in 2016. I had an encounter with God that changed my life. It's January 1st, 2016. To understand it, you gotta, you, I gotta give you just a, a little background. We, uh, we came to Madison in 2007 to pastor Mad City Church, and we were in a, in a place already of trauma. Our, our oldest 
child, our son, had walked away from Jesus, said he didn't believe in Jesus anymore. And this was, this was very traumatic because this is my greatest fear, my, that my own kids, I had served God and preached for God and, and loved on the family, and, and now somebody has walked away. How, how could this possibly happen? And, but the refuge, the refuge in it all was, well, we've got a new adventure, we're coming to a new place, and we're going to have revival, and, and we're going to just have an amazing thing, and our son will come back to the Lord eventually, and and so we, we come back and everything I'm expecting is going to happen, just the opposite happens. People are, uh, we, we, we have wounds and people are doing things out of wounds. And so instead of revival, we have division. And, and instead of the church being glorious and beautiful, the church is messy and ugly and, and it's, it's just bad. But all of those things I can attribute to humans have choices and the one thing i can't attribute that to is our our house we have this house in minnesota and and it's unsold and um i've always believed where god guides he provides and so him selling that house is going to be easy and um many of you know the some of the trauma i've told stories about it before and my little brother who came to mad city church said i can't hear about that house again in a sermon and <laughs> So I, I don't mean I don't mean to bore you with the house, but um, I couldn't gr I couldn't get a hold of why God wouldn't sell this house and and everything else I could blame people, but I couldn't I couldn't blame people for this. God can sell a house and uh, but it wasn't sold. It actually did not sell until 2013. And all through that, there was some snorting and some anger and and God brought me through that. But it wasn't until 2016. January 1st, that I finally understood why. Here's what happened. We, we were at one thing down in Kansas City, four straight nights of worship and speakers, and we had been in the presence of God, nothing except the presence of God for four straight days. Conference ends on New Year's Eve, and so it's, it's New Year's Day, I am down in the hotel lobby having a cup of coffee. I'm having my quiet time. And all of a sudden, I have a picture come into my mind. And here's the picture. And I remember this from my childhood so clearly. I knew exactly what it was right away. I am about 10 years old. I'm in my room upstairs. I'm sitting down against the wall and I'm crying. And I'm crying very loudly. Here's why I'm crying. I had done something wrong, but that's not why I'm crying. I am crying because I thought my dad spanked me too hard and that he owed me an apology. And I was crying and I was crying loud because I was waiting for him to come up and apologize to me. It was an apology, an apology that would never come. Now, here's what became very, very clear to me. First, I want to be very careful to say this. Sometimes dads do discipline in a way that they owe their kids an apology. You, you should never discipline out of anger. Discipline is not about you feeling better because you spanked your kid or disciplined your kid. It, it's about their well-being. And so sometimes dads actually do need to go to their kids and say, please forgive me for the way I discipline. So I am not saying that dads get a free license of how they discipline. But I am saying this. God doesn't have to apologize. It says this in Hebrews 12. Our dads did the best they could disciplining us, and we respected them for it. But God disciplines us perfectly. He, his discipline is perfect so that we will share his holiness and the fruit of righteousness, which is peace. And so God was saying this to me. You have been waiting for an apology that's not coming. And all of a sudden, I saw it. You know what the older brother is waiting for? Do you know why he's out there, unwilling to go into the party? Do you know what he's waiting for? An apology. And his father comes out, and his father says, I love you. Everything I have in yours. Here's what doesn't happen. 
he doesn't apologize. Do you know what the book of Job is about? Job, Job has, he feels like he's been mistreated. He feels he's entitled to, he has lived a good life. He has done what's right. He has served God. He has served the poor. He has done what is right. And he, and this is what has happened. This is what has been allowed. And he is waiting for 40 chapters. He's waiting for an apology from God. And God does show up. You can read Job 39 to 42, some of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Here's the one thing you're not going to find in there. An apology. And God showed me in, that, in those moments what he was doing in me. The reason why our house didn't sell for six years, even though I prayed and fasted and, and confessed and did all that, here's why. I was religiously proud and I didn't realize it. And he was removing entitlement from me. That sense, he was was using discipline to remove something that would always limit my walk with him. You can't receive the fullness of what he wants to do in and through us when you've got a religiously proud heart that thinks you've earned God's blessing and that somehow if you do the right things that God has to. That, That is poison, folks. God does not owe us anything. God doesn't give because we we've been good. God gives because he's good. He's a generous giver. And if, if, we, if we have religiously proud hearts that think we've earned God's blessing, we're missing the whole thing. We don't obey God to be blessed by him. We obey God because we love him. Because he is worthy of our love. Because he's worthy of everything. He blesses us because that's who he is. And we are his favored sons and daughters. And as long as we live entitled... We're going to end up outside of the... It's just a matter of time before we get offended and we're out of the party and you do stuff for other people and you haven't done something for me and I'm so good and I've served you in so many ways and I went to the mission field and I did this and na, 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 na. And God took his scalpel and wanted that poison out of my heart. He does all things well. Do you want to know? Do you want to know what God says to Job? You know, God takes almost a whole chapter to say. It's in in Job 39. He describes a horse that has become meek. He describes a war horse that is absolutely fearless in battle. That, that laughs at danger. He's been so won by his master. He waits until the sound of the trumpet, and when the trumpet sounds, he goes and he fights fearlessly. What is the book of Job about? God's making him a war horse. Job is a good, a good guy, but he's still got fears. And what God does is he sets us free from all the fears of our circumstances and all the self-preservation. And he wins our allegiance through gentleness, through intimacy. And we become like Jesus. This is, this is how the kingdom operates, where we will go anywhere and we can inherit anything. Because once it's not about our goodness, once it's about his goodness, not about our goodness, there's no limit to what he can do. There's nothing that he can't give and pour out in and through us. If we could have the worship team come. If you wouldn't mind just bowing your head and closing your eyes for a moment. The first call is uh, maybe you're here today and you, 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 you have been running around in that pen doing everything except coming to God. And maybe it's actually because of those unsolvable circumstances that you're even in church today, that nothing else has worked. All of your solutions for your life have not worked.
Everything you've used to try to comfort yourself has not worked. And so you, you happen to be here today, and right now your heart's beating because, oh my, this is for me today. I'm the one that's been snorting at God. Today I've got some unbelievably good news for you. God loves you. Your circumstances do not define you, and they don't have to define you. This is about a relationship. Jesus died on the cross for all of our rebellion, for all of our sins, for all of our snorting. Jesus died for us. He shed blood for us. He rose from the dead. The Bible says today that he stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he'll come in. Do you know what not, uh, the picture of knocking at somebody, somebody knocking at the door? Do you know what they're doing at your door? Waiting. They're waiting. Only a rude person would just come into the house. They're just waiting at the door. And usually what happens? People knock, and then they, they're not, nobody's opening, so they, 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 they walk away. Have you noticed that God doesn't walk away? He just keeps knocking. <laughs> he just keeps Knocking, every knock says this, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm in the answer. I'm the answer for your trauma. I'm the answer for your feeling of being trapped and stifled. I'm the answer for your depression. I, I am what you've been looking for. And he knocks. And Jesus says, if anyone will hear my voice and finally recognize this is the tenderness of God speaking to me, and open the door, I will come in and I will sup with them. If that is you, we, I have every head bowed because this is between you and God. You don't have to please somebody else. The reason why I have people raise hands is I like to pray with people just to give them a prayer to open up their door because somebody did that for me. So if that is you, would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it? We're gonna pray that prayer. Okay, I see that hand and that hand and that hand that hand and that hand in the back and that hand over there. God bless you. And you can put those hands down. See that hand in the front of the balcony. God bless you. You can put that down. Anybody else by upraised hand? I got you, bro. Thank you. The tenderness of God. The tenderness of God coming and speaking in the midst of our pain. I got you, sweetheart. Anybody else by upraised hand? Jesus, would you just speak to your people right now? Speak to your beloved right now, God. All right. For all of those that raised your hand, could you just put your hand on your heart right now and pray something like this to the Lord. Lord, thank you for loving me. Lord, I own my rebellion. I own my sinning and my snorting. And, and God, you know all about my life. I don't have to tell you it. And, but I also today own you, that you love me that you died for me on the cross. And Lord, that you are gently knocking. You've been waiting for me at the door. Lord, I'm coming to the door right now. And by faith right now, I'm opening the door and saying, Jesus, please come in. Please come in and save me. I repent. I stop all of my striving. I stop. I'm coming to the middle and I'm bowing my head. Would you, would you wash me, heal me, touch me? and lead me in your way. I receive now by faith your gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand to our feet together? The second call is, you're here today and you are definitely a Christian and you have surrendered at some time in the past, but um, you've been doing some running and some snorting and and... And you want God to come and, and take his scalpel and remove entitlement from your heart. Somehow you got into that religious pride that is, is earning and, and, and offended because God hasn't done everything that you thought he should do and at the time. And, and you want that out and you want to agree with Jesus' meekness. Would you just open your arms like this? I just want to pray for you. Father, I thank you. Would you speak tenderly to your beloved people, God? 
Would you speak into our trauma, God, and heal us? Lord, I think of the trauma of my faith (laughs) over those years and how excited I was when I saw what you were doing. Jesus, we we want to inherit. (laughs) We don't want to take. We, we want to walk uprightly because we love you, not to somehow earn something from you and, and then feel like you're, we're owed something. God, remove entitlement from our hearts and release. Release that meekness. Of, Jesus, thank you for teaching us today. Please, God, heal us. And then, God, I'm praying for myself and I'm praying for my brothers and sisters. Jesus, we we want to be those war horses that you can ride into battle, that you can ride into the darkness, into this world that is so filled with anger and hatred and depression and, and, and entitlement. My, oh, my. Jesus, take us wherever you want to take us and let us set people free. Because, Jesus, that's who you are. You came to set the captive free. You came to bind up the brokenhearted. Come on, Lord. Ride. 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 Lord, we give you not just our individual hearts and lives. We give you this church and say, Jesus, would you please, please come and ride. Come and bring your grace and your mercy. Come, Lord, we want to be in a place where we can inherit signs and wonders and everything you want to do out of pure grace. We want to be your people. Do something, God, in this day for your glory, for our good, and for the good of this region and this nation. Jesus, thank you for speaking to us today. We love you. Amen. Guys, we're going to have some ministry teams up here. We're also going to have worship again if you want to hang out and just be in the presence of God. And, uh, but you're welcome to be dismissed whenever you need to go.